Hey everybody, Saul Marquez with the Outcomes Rocket, and I'm so excited to share this five-part episode series that we've done with MetTrainer called Rethinking Compliance. Through these five episodes, we give you what you need to transform your best practices and approach to compliance. So excited to share this with you and to learn more about the series and about what MedTrainer has to offer, visit outcomesrocket.health slash medtrainer and see it in the show notes below. Today, I have the privilege of an outstanding guest. His name is Brent Althoff. He is the Director of Credentialing Operations at MedTrainer, the partner that we're doing this series with. Uh, Brent has a deep array of experience in the credentialing space with uh, working with with, uh, various different providers, uh, the oral health space, as well as uh, uh, payers like Optum. And and so I'm excited to have him here on the podcast to shed some light around compliance and things that we could be doing to accelerate it in healthcare. So, So Brent, so, so grateful that you're joining us today. So I really appreciate being here. Absolutely. So look, let's start with the fundamental question. Uh, what, what are key drivers behind the need for healthcare's need to focus and, and provide an, uh, an overview of the credentialing process in healthcare and why, why it's crucial for healthcare organizations? Sure. One of the biggest things about uh, credentialing is it's multifaceted face. It's, it's always complex. Uh, it's a really broad term across the industry, whether you're getting credentialing with a health corp, healthcare organization, or whether you're getting enrolled with a payer. And a lot of people refer to that as getting credentialed with an insurance payer. So there's always kind of a, a broad term to it. Uh, the, the other hard parts here with credentialing and the nuances are nobody's the same, right? Each state has their own, their own uh, differences along with all the payers that no one's the same. Now, 95% of it's probably you know close to being the same, but there's always a five, maybe even 10% nuance where whether it's state regulations or even just the provider differences that cause us to be uh, different for every single provider, every single group, every single payer. So it's it adds to the kind of a, a little bit of a difference that makes everything unique, even though the majority of it is the same. You have a really unique uh, perspective, right? You work for a health system, you spent a few years at a major health insurance company. How do things look like from the payer side? The fundamental piece that a lot of a lot of uh, healthcare organizations, whether it's you know a small group practice, uh, I worked for a uh, safety net hospital in Minneapolis. Uh, each one of those has the feeling that the payers are you know trying to withhold, you know trying to not pay them and. And realistically, when it comes down to it, the, the payers have to follow a strict process. Now, some of that's government-based, some of that's you know in, interior-based as to what they have to meet for their own regulations. But uh, a lot of it comes into uh, like MPS uh, net promoter scores. It's, it's a, one of the big key driving factors behind uh, the insurance payers that a lot of people don't see. Um, it, it, it basically, it's the detractors, you know, it's who's, who's actually promoting you. So they do lean heavily on that. And it's something outside of the normal health scope, as far as credentialing in a group or a hospital that, that they don't really lean on because you're already in, in, in a normal clinic setting or hospital or group, you're normally interacting with those providers where it's, it's really easy. You know them by name. You've probably met their spouse. You know, they've talked about their pets, whatever it may be, or even, you know, 
just just that feel where you you know that person one on one. In the outside of that, from that pair's perspective, they don't know those people as well as you do. They they don't know them, so that so they're looking for you know feedback on how the provider's doing and like how how the process is working for them if things are running smoothly. So they use that NPS score to really kind of drive uh, their focus. Uh, and the the other parts here with the healthcare, it's every single one of the pairs has a different process and a different uh, piece that moves them in a different direction. So they have to follow. And the hard part with the pairs is that you have to follow everything, you know, state-based. So states might have their own regulations. They might have different pieces for the provider that they can accept in one state. Uh, California's nurse practitioners actually don't have licenses. They actually have certifications. Um, in Minnesota, where I'm based, they have they have to maintain their RN with their MP, uh, and they also have to have a certification. So there's so many different uh, variables in with this that make this kind of convoluted at some points in time. So when you're working in, an, for us, when we're working in Minneapolis, it was really easy for us to be able to work because we're only dealing with, you know, Minnesota-based. One state. Yeah, it's it's, yeah. it's, it's very easy uh, where, you know, the the payers are working across all, all 50 states. So it, it becomes a lot more uh like I'm saying, convoluted for them to be able to pick up on everything and know everything. Because, I mean, if you start doing the, the math behind it, you get into 50 states times 30 different providers. And, you know, all of a sudden you're, the knowledge base there just jumps through the roof. So uh, it's 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 a little harder for them to be able to do it. But uh, it's, it's still being able to, the big part here is being able to communicate out what the payer actually needs and having the the hospitals. And that's, I think that's kind of the downfall a lot of the times with the payers. It's here's the process, but they don't go into a lot of details. And I think that's kind of the the chasm that's in between the groups and the payers. So then is part of what what you guys do uh, with the process is is help the payers communicate requirements more effectively? So is that, is that part of it or no? It's really pushing the payers into the idea of like being able to communicate better and holding them accountable in certain areas. I mean, that's that's the best term uh, that we can use is just accountability. And certain in certain groups, obviously, we have uh, FQHCs that you know yeah. they're based off the federal government's with their funding, but they they have certain requirements uh, and they have managed care organizations that actually work as a sub uh, parts to the insurance payers that deal with the Medicaid based on you know the different states. So. Those MCOs have certain requirements that they have to meet uh, because of state regulations to be able to keep that managed care organization uh, funding and to keep that contract in place. So they have to play by the rules, which for the organizations, the healthcare organizations is great because they have some teeth in this. It's it's not just waiting and waiting and waiting. They 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 can hold people accountable. So it's good for both sides, honestly, in the end, even Got though it. people don't like it. Workflows with credentialing could be super complex. Could you share some specific automation tools or strategies that have proven successful in credentialing? And and really, bottom line is, how do they impact revenue cycle, right? Because that's what a lot of people listening to this series care about. And that's something, you know, at MedTrainer that we're always constantly trying to do, um, even outside of that. I mean, our competitors, whoever it may be, it's it's trying to find that piece to be able to have all the information in one area so you have that source of truth. Um, that's a huge industry term that is used all the time. What's our source of truth, right? Uh, 
you know, 20 years ago before everything got into the, the tech area and we were able to, you know, start moving in a better direction, it, it was paper. And every time I hear paper, I just cringe a little bit inside because I, I, I use the paper I've done that. I've submitted the applications through fax or by mail. And oh, it that bad feelings come up with that. But <laughs> the automation piece is to be able to drive us forward. So small things like being able to have that source of truth, being able to pull that information out quickly. Uh, if, if you're talking about you know the data that you have in the system or even in you know in a basic spreadsheet. How can you get that information out quickly, get it into an application, get it sent, whether the application's in email or it's in a portal or you know, in a, or if you're using Medicare through PECOS, like how can you get that information out? So having it first and it's one place, say true. Second, how can I get it out quickly? Because the third piece is the faster you get that out, if you think about you know, a provider working you know, five days a week, and seeing patients for five days. Now, I can speed that process up for five days. Look at that from a revenue perspective. You're able to bill those claims and get reimbursement for those five days. If I can do it five days quicker. Now, if you have a you know a physician or a provider doing that for five days, they're probably looking at somewhere between two thousand to five thousand, depending on the type of uh, provider is and the services that they are providing. So in that five-day period, you're looking at $10,000 to $25,000 in revenue, and that's five days. Now imagine if that's 10 days, right? Now imagine that's 30 providers or in big, big organizations like the one I worked at uh, in Minneapolis, that's 1,250 providers. And now those numbers you know, are starting to become astronomical at that point in time. You're looking at huge swings in revenue. So the credentialing piece with the payers is where you can make the biggest difference. So if you're able to automate that, move it quicker, be able to follow up, send notifications, follow up emails, you know, to the actual payers, you, you can move a lot quicker and that just drives your, your revenue at that point. It's really just keeping everything up to date, making sure that it's being sent to the payers. And, and all of that today, as I understand it, is very manual. You guys are automating that process. And that's the piece that every group should be doing, whether it's two providers or it's you know 2,000 providers. The idea is to be able to have that source of truth, move it out, and get it moving forward. But the, the small pieces here are the notifications, the reminders, right? Everybody has got an outlook or you know whatever source that you're doing for tracking. The, the credentialing space and the, the actual software piece of this is able to send notifications. It, I mean, we can send follow-up emails to the payers. And, and that's not just MedTrader, that's across you know the credentialing space for any sure. You should be able to do these things. You should be able to send the notifications. You should be able to get notifications when things uh, are coming due. Uh, we have, all, I mean, the, the primary source verifications that we have to make to maintain, whether it's licenses, board certifications, life support certs. I mean, uh, there's also provider uh, liability insurance that we have to maintain on a yearly basis. There's all these things uh, that can put you out of compliance. That can you know take you out of accreditation very quickly if you don't have these set up. So having the having the notifications, having it in one area, it, it boosts your ability to be able to move quicker. Yet at the same time, be flexible uh, with any kind of information that's coming in and out of your business. Let's talk about how C suite can help support credentialers. Like from your perspective, how, how could the executive leadership team? help them enhance efficiency and revenue? The biggest way in a lot of times, and 
and, and being a credentialer, and I've done that. I've been the basic person on, on the bottom end and the entry level. Uh, the basic way you can do this is being involved when you need to be involved and staying out and not becoming a blockade or a gate when you don't need to be. And, and that's the that's the complex part of this is really knowing what you can add value in as far as with your, you know, your policies and procedures, staying to your, you know, your restrictions, your regulations, but also making sure that you're not adding more to it than you need to, right? If if your regulatory uh, requires you to have five years worth of work history, you know, and you you as an organization are requesting seven, really ask yourself why you're doing that. Um, making sure that you understand that, you know, you only need five years. Why are you doing seven? Is there something, you know, is there some reason that you need to do that seven? Or are you just adding it to add a higher standard for no particular reason? Um, other areas, it's it's just really making sure as a, as a provider, it's you're, you're providing that service to that patient. And that is your primary focus here in, in your journey through your career as a provider is to provide that care. And it's hard sometimes to be able to get that information or to get the providers to buy into the credentialing process. So having, you know, an executive leadership team or even a physician champion or, or a provider champion for that matter, to be able to help drive that credentialing process, that, that's one of the biggest things from either a credentialer or a, a credentialing company such as MedTrainers to have somebody on the inside to be able to help drive you. Uh, that that in itself, it, it's so it's so welcoming and it, it gives you the ability to be able to move things when at points in time you can't. Um, and that's it's kind of the bad part about being a, a credential every once in a while is you don't have that ability. So being able to have that partnership to have somebody come alongside you and help move that forward, it's it's so crucial in what we're doing. So making sure that the standards uh, everyone is holding their organization to from a compliance from aligned to the standards that need to be in place, not necessarily something that has been. Yeah. So it's like, it's worth examining. Wouldn't you say like what, what the standards are? 100%. And that, that's the thing also, like listening, actually listening yeah. to, you know, what you, well, not only your, your medical staff is saying, or your credentials are saying, or being able to reevaluate things, like, like what you just said, like being able to take a look again and be like, are we just doing this for the sake of doing it? Or are we doing it with a purpose? And, oh. and making changes when you need to. Every two years, I mean, you should be reevaluating every two years of what your credentialing process is. I mean, look at COVID. A, a lot of the payers changed out their applications to meet the new requirements. Are you changing out your, you know, your policies and procedures and your requirements based on that? I know a lot of the organizations that we work with right now as our clients, that they've added in, you know, COVID sign-offs to all sorts of different areas for that. Uh, work from home standards, a lot tell you know telehealth abilities. So there, there's so much that you know changes in that, and that's and that's just one small piece. I mean, we're not even talking about what what's different with the payers or what the government's now requesting or the yep. state. Uh, there's so many different things that you, you need to reevaluate. And two years, I think, is a good time period. Um, I wouldn't want to go over that. And you could do it every six months if you want, but then you're just kind of getting in a spot where do you really need to and yeah. Two years is kind of that good window of we've won a while. Let's reevaluate. And these reevaluation uh, evaluations, I think, are critical for for all of us to consider. And even outside of credentialing, I know many of you guys that are listening, maybe you're thinking credentialing. Okay, maybe not for me, but frankly, 
when you think about what you're doing, obviously you're a med device company, you're thinking about this, but if you're a, a business, you got to be thinking about your systems and your processes. And I think that two year rule that Brent is is alluding to is a healthy window to to take a look at our SOPs and the ways that our companies uh, run. What yeah, you say, Brent? yeah, I mean, some of them, I mean, the good ones that we work with, and I'll, I'll quote, quote good ones, uh, they're they're doing it on a on an annual basis, annual. right? Okay. Yeah, to make sure that they're, but it's it's, it's a lot of this comes into do you have the time? Do you have the resources to do this? Right? A lot of the yeah. bigger corporations have you know a quality assurance team, and some of the groups we work with are ten providers. They've got seven people on staff there, right? So, it, do we have enough time? Do we have enough resources to be able to look at this? So, I. So, I mean, to go back and refine even more, I would say between one and two years. That's okay. that. I like that. I like that. Low, anything lower than a year, you have to, why are you doing it one, more than once a year? Do you have something that, you know, you need to be looking at intrinsically inside? Like you're not prepared. You haven't had yeah. a legal team review it. You know, do you have all your ducks in a row? So. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Hey, Brent. So, so, you know, there's a ton of challenges, right? And, and a lot of people struggle with this. Uh, when it comes to credentialing, can you give us some examples of, of those challenges and then some guidance on how our listeners could navigate to, to overcome these hurdles? Sure. One of the biggest things that we're seeing now, and we've probably been seeing over the last 10 years, but uh, even more so now, it's been flexing even more than, than normal. Uh, it's just the, the credentialers that are doing the credentialing aren't always doing credentialing full-time, right? You have people wearing multiple hats. You have people doing administrative assistant work. Uh, or a few clients we have, we have the we have the COO uh, supporting the credentialing process uh, as they move forward. Uh, then in the growth in healthcare, uh, whether it's through mergers or whether startups with uh, the behavioral health uh, sector, that, that has been growing immensely over the last, you know, five to 10 years. So, that piece of multiple hats and being having people that aren't necessarily normally in the credentialing world, we're seeing that more more so than ever. And credentialing in itself, uh, you you don't go to school for credentialing. You don't right. you don't go you don't start off going. I really want to get into credentialing. The the credentialing scope in itself, you you kind of fall into it, or you're you're maybe brought into it against kind of your will a little bit uh, with the needs, but. That that's probably the first thing is just the all all the hats that people are wearing, right? That I'm doing this, I'm doing that, I'm I'm accounts receivable, accounts payable, I do credentialing. Uh, it's it, that's probably the biggest thing we see. The second part is just unrealistic expectations. Um, what does that look like from your team? What are your unrealistic expectations that you have for the payers? Uh, thinking that you can get stuff done in you know two weeks when that's that's not the case. Um, having people be able to just think they know things and it's always going to be this way when things change all the time. Applications, requirements. Um, if you look at the uh, accreditation bodies and their standards, those change every year as well. Yeah. Uh, not in drastic ways, but small ways that are still will impact you if you're not prepared. So that's one of the biggest, those are the two biggest things. Another, another, another area here, I, I probably got a top four. Uh, yeah, let's hear it. It's just the the ability to be able to transfer from paper eventually at some point in time. Now, the, most of the industry has done that, but there's still there's still some, especially the small organizations that are still using paper because it's 
you know, I don't, it's not cost efficient for them to be able to switch yet. Uh, but the thing I would say is not being terrified of making that progress or that shift. A lot of the, the accreditations and different organizations, even the payers, have small windows for you to be able to transition from that paper. And, and a lot of the different areas, whether it's scanning companies or even consultants have made this process a lot smoother. There's a lot more true and tested ways to be able to do this. Communicating with other groups that have, you can find pain points that, you know, maybe they saw that are, you know, that you haven't thought of yet. Uh, that that transition though from paper is is probably the biggest thing that people get scared of. And it's it's not the time to be scared now. Like 10 years ago is probably, but not now with all the different automation tools, consulting teams, all of that. And the last one, number four that I would have, yeah, just being prepared. That that is that is probably one of the pieces here. Uh, that we can't stress enough, right? It's project management 101, right? Being prepared, doing the work up front, doing all your checks and balances, having everything in your policies and procedures, making sure that you have everything that you want implemented and then going after. But it's being prepared, being informed. Those are the areas in which like, that, that rounds off the top four to me. And the things that we constantly see from people when they come in, they come into us, they're having, you know, hey, we, we'd love to start working with you. And then we asked them, what would you like us you know, to help you with? What, what areas would you like us to move in what direction? And they're like, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Hey, what payers do you want us to enroll in? Uh, the good ones. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, that, that's not really helpful to us. So being prepared from, from the aspect of the, the healthcare group, it's just, it's paramount in the industry. And you, and I know it seems a little, you know, a little, little funny or a little indifferent that people would be coming with that but we have we have you know providers that are coming here that want to start their own business or want to do that and they have the medical experience to be able to do it but they might not just have the the business aspect tied down yet so we see that a lot so yeah being, being informed being prepared is huge we'll provide a summary of of, of this, these top four from brent as well as all the things that we've discussed on today's episode in the show notes uh, so, so definitely make sure you check that out. Um, this has been really insightful, Brian. I, I've, I've enjoyed the conversation. I think this is a, a great way to, to really open up the series. Looking ahead, can you provide insights into emerging trends in credentialing? Uh, you know, how can healthcare institutions stay ahead of the curve and, and optimize this process further? This is the hardest part that I see happening now. And it's probably the, the, the dark secret that no one really wants to talk about because it's, oh, we're not on paper anymore. We're in digital. Don't complain about it. But it's 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 the piece where it's probably the hardest thing to do right now because everybody has a different platform. If you want to, you know, send a submit an application, there's a portal that you have to log into. Now I have to take that information out of my digital capacity, put it in another digital capacity, and to be able to have it. Now if I take it from mine and there's no there's no API, there's no you know connection, there's no contract between the two, I'm stuck entering that again manually. So we have all these different tech systems, but they're not talking to each other. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's 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 hard because there's a lot of companies like, okay, now we have to develop all these APIs and all these different pieces. How, how are we gonna send this? And and there's certain ways we can get around it, right? We can send CSV files, uh, we can send those types of 
those pieces. We can also upload information such as PDFs that you know they can do the screenshot and grab. But it's the multiple systems that it's it's really the driving force and how we're going to communicate going forward. And and maybe maybe AI is going to you know be solving that hopefully in the next you know two three five ten years where you know we're going to actually have that you know the systems talking to each other and filling out that information. But that's that's the that's the dark seeker that no one wants to talk right now. It's how we have all this technology, but how do we get it to work together? And how are we able to move? Because that's that's the next step. If we can get that working, the the sky's the limit here as far as you know what we can do for providers, what we can do for patient care, uh, and what we can do for all of our organizations to make life easier. I get super excited just thinking about that that interoperability and what it could mean for 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 really you know patient care and, and profitability. Uh, this 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 is just uh, uh, the beginning of it. And and look, you, you've offered some major value today. I, I, I want to thank you. If you had any one takeaway that you wanted to leave our listeners with, what would it be? Staying informed, being prepared. Like those are those those two things. I know that's it's a two thing piece, but just staying informed, right? Yeah. Knowing what the payers are requesting, staying with what the government has. There's different bills coming out with all sorts of different things, whether it's, you know, during COVID, we had small examples of the ability to be able to do things differently because of COVID. Like, but there are a lot of healthcare organizations that didn't know what was happening. They didn't know they could do this. And they and those things of just staying informed and being prepared are, are the paramount pieces here that are going to drive success, whether, again, like you said, and patient care, provider health, mental health for them. Uh, and, and in your revenue, like those, all three of those things, if you're winning, like the skies are limit and people are, are going to want to work with you every day of the week. Stay informed, be prepared. Uh, I, I've been impressed with the work that MedTrainer is doing to really kind of keep their community, their customers uh, informed and prepared. So definitely tap into the resources they offer and and certainly take a look at the show notes for a lot of the insights that Brent shared today. Brent, really appreciate you jumping on on this series. It's all more than happy to. Thank you. 